Church. We're thankful that you have chose to worship with us this morning. Uh, if you are here for the first time, uh, we're delighted to have you. Maybe you're in town visiting family and you have come to worship with us. So just thank you for being here. Uh, we just want to love on you, encourage you, pray for you any way um, that we can. If this is your first time, there's a couple different ways you can let us know that. You can scan the QR code in the bulletin or there is a connection card um, out in the foyer that you can fill out, we would appreciate that. Just a couple of announcements. Um, 
please do not forget on your way out, there are some Christmas cards to your left. There are still several stacks, which means some of you have not checked your card. So if you will just check those and take those with you, um, we would appreciate that. Um, in the bulletin, it lists a Lottie Moon amount. That amount is not correct. Um, it has not been updated. We're over $14,000 now, and so we'll try to get you... We'll try to get you a, a total amount next week. At least I don't think it's correct. I thought we had more than that. So we'll, we'll get that squared away uh, next week. There are no services tonight. We will resume our normal schedule this Wednesday. Um, and so I want to encourage you to come be a part of that. And right after the service, we need some strong men or women with strong backs who are willing to help take this cross down and carry it over there by the bus. So please don't take off. I'll try to remind you so you can't say, oh, Pastor, I forgot. I'll try to remind you right before the service is over. Um, if you will please come uh, help us uh, do that. Um, our praying the scripture this morning is from Isaiah 61. I believe it's verse 10 that's going to appear on the screen, but I want to read verses 1 and 2, and then we will turn our attention to verse 10. This is the word of the Lord. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn. And the verse 10 says, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exult in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. Would you take just a moment right where you are and just pray through that verse? Maybe there's a part of that verse that sticks out to you and you just want to offer up a praise to God or just offer up a prayer of confession or just a, a cry of dependence upon the Lord. Use this verse to guide you as you pray, and then I will pray for us, and then the choir will sing after I pray. Father, we see in this verse that we are called to greatly rejoice in you, O Lord. That our soul shall exalt you, our God. For you have clothed us with garments of salvation. You have covered us with the robe of righteousness. Thank you for the salvation that only you can bring. Thank you that this morning we are clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Father, as we enter into a new year, Father, we are thankful that you are the same God, the God of yesterday and today and forever. Father, for some in this room, 2022 was a difficult year, and they were thankful to be able to turn the page into a new year. For others, 2022 was a, a year of blessing and favor and of God of just seeing your your spirit poured out upon them seeing lord just you doing incredible things in their life and so for maybe some of them they didn't want 2022 to end but father regardless here we are and you are still on the throne father we need that and we are thankful for that because father the reality is the same person that we were at 1159 2022, we are that same person this morning in 2023. Same struggles, same thoughts, same weaknesses, same sins. And oh Jesus, we are so dependent upon you. Thankful that you came, as Isaiah says, as we will see this morning in Luke 4, that you have come to bring good news, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, the opening of the prison to those who are bound. Father, you can do that. Jesus, you have done that, and we pray that you will do that this very morning. 
as we turn our attention to you, as we seek your face, as we are in your presence, may your word be proclaimed boldly from this pulpit. As we hear the choir sing now, Lord, just continue to move in our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.
Thank you, choir. Thank you, Brian. So in your bulletin uh, for Children's Church, it says TBD. Um, so we're changing our schedule a little bit. Instead of the older kids not going on the last Sunday, they will now stay in here on the first Sunday of the month. And so this is the first Sunday of the month. So our older kids are going to stay in here, but our younger kids are going to make their way out now for Children's Church. And Miss Tracy was working on that new schedule uh, this week and this morning, and so she'll have all those uh, details going forward. But the first Sunday now is when our K through second will stay um, in here with us. Let me pray while they're uh, making their way out. Fathers, we come to this time, Lord, where your word is going to be opened and it is going to be proclaimed. Father, we lift up Pastor Gary as he brings your word to us this morning. Lord, he has, I know, worked hard this week to prepare and study, and that was in the midst of a family being under the weather. And so, Lord, we, we know that you have spoken you have led him to this text. You have, Lord, put your words upon his heart. And so, Father, our prayer this morning as he opens your word and preaches is that it will result in glory to your name, joy to your people, and salvation to the lost. Father, speak now in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, there you go. All right. Uh, if you have your copy of God's Word, please turn to Luke chapter 4. We're going to be reading from verse 16 through 21. I'm going to be reading from the English Standard Version. Please stand as we read. Luke chapter 4, verse 16 through 21. And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue. And on the Sabbath day, he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today the scripture has, be has been fulfilled. In your hearing. You may be seated. <clears throat> I had a professor <clears throat> in Bible college who was very, uh, he loved to play, this is a Bible college, and he says he loved to play the devil's advocate, which was kind of weird. And so uh, he, he enjoyed writing, and so his one book he was writing when I was in Bible college he sent over to the publishers, and he had a, a title in mind that he wanted to uh, provide a, a reaction. And so the title he wanted to give this, it was, it was based off of the Sermon on the Mount, is 10 Things I Hate About Jesus. And so he sent it to the publishers, and the publishers rejected that. Um, because he wanted to provoke his readers. He wanted to offend them when they read that title. That was not the title of the book. Uh, the title of the book became 10 Things I Wish Jesus Never Said, which ended up selling quite a few copies in South Africa. Um, but what do you find offensive about Jesus? This might not have been the sermon you would have thought about heading into 2023. 
But what do you find offensive about Jesus? This text, we will see a role reversal. We'll see people that love Jesus and we'll see people that want to throw him off of a cliff's edge because of the offense he brought them. So what is offensive in this text? When you read through it, I want you to just think in your mind as you've come to Sunday school this morning, as you've read through the scriptures through 2022, you should be amazed by the gospel in some shape or form. Something should amaze you in how you think about it, in what you think about when you think about the gospel. Our text comes off of the heels of the Lord Jesus gaining victory over the evil one in the wilderness. So I want you to think of this text not just like Jesus came from the wilderness and he's about to go into the synagogue and he's about to read from the book of Isaiah. No. I want you to read this as Jesus has returned like David, having bound Goliath of Satan in the wilderness. And now he is ready to go on the offensive and rout the Philistines and set the captives free. As if Goliath, heads on the floor, David is on on the offensive and he's about to go and capture those Philistines and about to set those that are captives free. I want you to think about it like that. Because the next time we see him in action, we see our, our scripture reading, is Jesus is reading from the prophet Isaiah. And he is handed the scroll of the prophet and as it were, He would roll all the way down to chapter 61. And he reads about the one who was promised by the prophet who would be full of the Spirit. He would be the servant of the Lord who would come and give restoration to Israel, who would proclaim good news to the poor. He would proclaim release to the captives, recovering of sight to the blind, provide provide release to the oppressed, and he he would proclaim that this is the year of the Lord's favor. This is a lot, there is a lot tied up in the Old Testament here. So I want you to just just stick with me. There's a lot tied up. And for the sake of our time, we must know that for the text of Isaiah is nothing less than a promise of Israel's final restoration. Hopefully you heard it in Pastor Aaron's reading. And as you read through that chapter in Isaiah 61, it said that the servant will will give them beauty for ashes. Generations that had been punished would be, would be restored. All of that misery, all of that oppression, all of that time in exile would be erased by the servant. And they would return to their land and their fortunes would be restored. They would all be put into their proper place according to their tribe and clan And to all the memories of devastation would soon be a thing of the past when the servant comes. And as far as promises in the Old Testament go, this is one, as a people of Israel, you would take to the bank. I mean, think about this. Being dispossessed from their own place in their own cultural stories, stories of hope and redemption, they would surely be hopeful of this. And through those times of devastation and waiting. And no doubt at this time, Israel herself, in Luke's gospel, were still waiting. They were in exile in Babylon. They're basically still the servant to Rome in the book of Luke. They longed for a day when they would no longer have the Romans on their soil. They longed for a day when their own king would be doing their bidding as nations set apart from other nations who was enthroned above all nations. So the story in Isaiah's prophecy became part of the story of Israel's future. That it was read as promise in light of the old promises. And in order for us to understand this, we shouldn't just go back to Isaiah. We need to go back all the way to Leviticus. Now, for the sake of time, I'm not going to have us read through Leviticus 25. You're welcome to turn there. But you'll come across this term in Leviticus 25, Jubilee. Now, some of you may be very, very familiar with Jubilee. Unfortunately, because when you think of Jubilee, you think of the Queen. 
That is not what I want you to think about today. In Isaiah 61, it spoke about the restoration of Israel. It spoke about God's jubilee for them. This once and final jubilee where everything that was once promised or expected in Leviticus 21, 25, pardon me, God would give us. Well, in order for us to understand what that means, I'm going to try and simplify it as quickly as I can. What jubilee means. Every seventh day, there is a Sabbath day, which was a Saturday for them. And every seven years, there was a Sabbath year. And every seven years, they were were to let the ground grow fallow. They weren't to farm or to cultivate, and they were to just let their land sit there. And God promised them that if they do this, he said, don't worry about this. On the sixth year, I will provide three years' worth of crops. So that on the sixth year, the seventh year, and even the eighth year, you would eat. You would have enough to eat. I would provide for you. You would be showing everyone else that I am your God. I I provide for you. So after every week, there is a Sabbath. After every six years, there is a Sabbath year. And then after every set of seven years, that's 49, there is a Sabbath, which is called, anyone? Jubilee. In that year, like the other years, you were to let the land sit, grow fallow, but, but if, if you had been dispossessed of your land, gotten yourself in some financial trouble, and for whatever reason you lost your appointed place in the promised land, your tribal ownership place on the year of Jubilee would be returned to you. If you, for whatever reason, were indebted to someone, that you became their indentured servant, You were doing their bidding. You were doing whatever they wanted. At the end of that set of seven years, at that 49th, at that 50th year, you would be released from your indentured servanthood. You would be released to your own people, to your own clan, to your own possession of a place. And so it's no surprising that the language used in Leviticus 25, in particular verse 10, that they were to proclaim every 49th year one thing, one thing, release to those who were captive in Israel. To proclaim liberty to the captive. So Jubilee is a release from captivity. You are no longer an indentured servant. And so when they have this promise in Isaiah 61 about a servant of the Lord who would be filled with the Holy Spirit, who is going to speak release, speak liberty to you, but no longer will it be because you have lost your land, because at this time in Isaiah, they're no longer in the promised land. For this people were in exile. For this people will be reconstituted as a people of God. Release from their captivity, restoration of Israel with every tribe given their God-given territory. And everyone will be free with their own place. All their debts, all their punishments will be forgiven. And so I want you to think, when we're talking about this leading up to Luke, we're talking about two things. We're talking about Jubilee, and we're talking about the restoration from exile. And so it is amazing then that if you are in debt... The idea of Jubilee is really, really good news. I mean, if you were so in debt that you lost your property and then the 49th year comes, and then they say that that land belongs to you again, that's very good news. But if you're someone's servant, then to that person who you owe service, it's not that good a news. But this is God's way of making sure of combating abuse in Israel. This is a way God was making sure that God, that people knew that Israel were God's people and they will always be returned to the portion of land that he had given them and that Israel will never be an eternal servant to anyone. And it was the promise to Israel as their God and their father. I mean, can you just imagine a home loan forgiven? Bankruptcy undone. 
repossessed car back in the garage. The foreclosure letter. That property is back in your hand. Everything is undone, reset, as if it never happened. That is good news. That is really, really good news to all who hear this and has this happened to them. If you are someone who happened to get themselves into a lot of trouble, but I want you to understand this, it's not that good of a news for the person who wasn't responsible for getting themselves into trouble. See, the problem with the story is that Israel never did what God had hoped they would do with Jubilee. Not only did Israel not keep Jubilee, but they never kept the seventh year Sabbaths. Meaning they never let the land grow fallow, never stopped farming, trusted, they never trusted that God would provide for all their needs in those three years of crops. And we know this according to when God says that he has chosen how long you're going to be exiled to Babylon. You didn't let the land rest for 70 Sabbaths, and therefore for 70 Sabbaths you will go into exile so that the land may rest and lie fallow, getting the rest she needs. Once in exile, God's people see the promises come to pass and promises that God would send someone to proclaim that the exile is over. Where you would say, you have been released from your captivity. The land is yours. Your debt is forgiven, repaid. All will be well with you and your God once again. And this is the text Jesus reads. And then in verse 20 and 21, he sits down and he says, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. So all of that about jubilee and restoration of God's people just happened. And the people were amazed. And not because the sermon was short, but because this was the news that they were waiting for. But in and around the Gospels, you will read that people murmured when they heard about Jesus, when he taught. They would often just simply say, he's Joseph's kid. And he is saying something pretty important. But that didn't deter them into buying into the fact of what he was saying. I mean, what was the promise? And I know I keep saying it, but I want you to hear it. That servant, full of the Spirit, would proclaim this. Release from all your captivity. And Jesus said that I am that servant. I read the words. Just this just happened. Everything that just happened, that, is, that Isaiah had promised is coming to pass right now through me and through my ministry. And then we go to verse 22. If you have a closed Bible, I encourage you to open it, because we will carry on. Verse 22. And it says that they marveled at his words. They were enthralled with his words. Because they were hearing exactly what they had been waiting for. A release from all their problems. A restoration to all that they had wanted was good in Israel. A return to freedom a removal of oppression, and an enriching of an impoverished people, and a healing of all their diseases. And if he, and if he was going to bring them that, then they were all in. Well, this feeling didn't last long. In that moment, they were filled with joy, with the news of joy. And the very next moment, they were enraged with him. What Jesus would say next would draw their excitement to a halt, a stop. Because they didn't understand what he was saying. And he says, I know what you're going to want from me. You're going to want me to do some signs and wonders, right? You want me to do some of the same things. If you read through verse 23 and onwards, you're going to want me to do the same stuff as I did in Capernaum. So that you can believe, so that we can believe in you. 
We know that you are Joseph's son, is what they would say. And if you do some things to prove your claim to be true, then we will follow you. And then he says, no matter what I do, you will ultimately reject me. So he gives them two examples of the Old Testament. He takes them through a story of Elijah, and then he takes them through a story of Elisha. Elijah came proclaiming God's word to Ahab. And the Israelite king. And he was rejected. So God told Elijah to go and live with the Gentiles. And so God brought about a famine. And there were widows all across Israel. Everywhere you could see. But God said to Elijah, I want you to go to the widow of Zarephath. Who is starving. And he left Israel alone. And then he goes on to another story. And there were lepers throughout the land of Israel. And the land during the time of Elisha had sworn enemies from Syria who wanted to exterminate Israel. They wanted to wipe them out. And so Elisha was sent by God to heal a leper, a very powerful leper. Not an Israelite, but a Gentile Syrian commander called Naaman. This commander, once he was strong enough, would probably want to conquer Israel in due time. I'm sure. So Jesus is saying that those situations are a lot like this situation because that is what is going to happen. And just like the crowd goes from being really excited to really angry, pushing him to the brow of the hill to throw him down the cliff, they wanted to execute Jesus. Through stoning. There's two types of ways you can stone someone. You can throw them on, you can throw stones at them, or you can throw them on the stones. You have to hear what he is saying. The people were just elated that their needs would finally be met, and in the way they assumed God would meet them. Their land would be returned. Their poverty would be no more. Their oppressors would be removed. Jesus standing there offers them two things. He says, it is happening right now, just as Isaiah said the person would come. Secondly, the people that you think are your oppressors are going to be receiving the thing you're waiting for. And they're going to be receiving it freely. So freely that you are, going to be you are going to be rejecting me and the message of God, just like you have done again and again and again with the prophets. And with that, they heard enough. So the question is to you, are you offended yet? And you may say, no, this doesn't have anything to do with me. And with that, I say that this has got a lot to do concerning you and me. Surely Jesus is speaking about the foreshadowing about how the Jews will receive the message of the long-awaited Messiah. I think Jesus is saying, is telling of the offensive nature of the message that he proclaims. I mean, Jesus is somewhere saying, telling us the manner in which the Lord will die. There are all sorts of things Luke is telling us, so do not get too excited because he is heading towards a very dark conclusion for the Jews. And this is how it's going to go down. But this is the most important point. What Jesus is telling us is that if you don't see, if you don't see with new eyes, then you won't see at all. You see, that is the very thing that they found offensive. It is important to know that Jesus and his message is not just offensive to Jews, but it is offensive to everyone if you hear the message. But a lot of people hear the message of Jesus the way these Nazarites wanted to hear, which was simply this. God is going to enlarge my way of living. He's going to enlarge my territory in this world. 
He's going to forgive my debts. He's going to heal my bodies. And if he is here to do that, then we love him. We accept him as our Messiah. But if that is not the way it is coming, then we are offended by the way he is bringing the message. And as you read through the text, you will see what Jesus came to do. He came to proclaim good news to the poor, proclaim release to the captives, recovering of sight to the blind, to free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And I want you to know that this this text is tightly wound up to the year of Jubilee, to that proclamation and that release. The idea that you will be released from things is brought up again and again in the book of Luke. So the assumption from those listening in the synagogue is that the Lord is going to release us from any kind of oppression. He's going to release us from any kind of debt. And when those physical things are done, then we will finally be restored to our place as God's people in the world. But you see, Luke will show us throughout the gospel something very difficult to see. If you don't see Christ with new eyes, if you don't accept his message, his interpretation of the Old Testament, the way God is bringing about his salvation, then you will always stumble at his message. And that is no different now to what it was then. God's release for us from poverty and captivity will be far more personalized, spiritual, than we will want to think of them at first. The word release, I know some of you might be put off by that, might be because of the accent. The word release happens 17 times in the New Testament. Ten of those are in the book of Luke. And every time he uses it, he is referencing the forgiveness of sin. Every single time. So this message he is proclaiming when he says is fulfilled in your hearing, he is offering Israel is release from their sins. He is saying that my ministry will release you from your sins and your transgressions. And the reason they are offended is because that is not what they are looking for. They are not interested in being released from their sins. They are not interested in being released from everyone. They are interested in being released from everyone else's sins. Because they are being held against their will. And if those things can be removed, then, God, you can be our Messiah. But if they are not going to be removed, if this is an issue of me having to deal with God and my own issues, then I have no desire to go forward. Jesus will speak of his ministry in this way with his disciples throughout the Gospel of Luke. That the Christ, not would restore them to what David had, what Solomon had, no. The Christ would suffer, would die, be raised from the dead on the third day for the repentance and the release of sins would be be proclaimed in his name to all the nations. We see it again in the book of Acts with the Apostle Peter, where he says in his first sermon, repent and be baptized. Why? For the release from your sins. And Paul, sitting in prison at the end of the book of Acts, God has sent me to proclaim message of release to the nation, release from sin. All that to say is that Luke is interpreting for us what Jesus means for us in the text when he says he's going to release people from captivity, from poverty, from oppression. You see, that is first and foremost a release from spiritual impoverishment and their spiritual need before God. And as offensive as it is, and I want you to understand, Being released from actual captivity, 
poverty. I don't want to shrug that off as something unimportant. But the first desire is to deal with the sins of man by which things like poverty, captivity, sickness, oppression, and death have been brought into this world. And those things, if fixed in this world, will never fully and finally fix, be fixed in this world unless people's sins aren't first dealt with. You see, if a blind man receives his sight, he will die at some point. If a poor man is made rich, he will die at some point and all of his money be given to someone else. There is a greater issue at stake for which Christ's ministry makes plain, is aimed at, and because that is his aim, it becomes very offensive to those who are hearing it. While this should have been good news for Israel, when they heard it, it wasn't. And I hope you've been asking the question, why? (laughs) Why were they so offended? Why were they so angry? that they wanted to shove him off of a cliff. Because they weren't poor. Not in the way they needed to be. They were not oppressed in the way they should have seen themselves to be. They thought that they had, that their biggest issues were outside of themselves. Corrupt government. Bad circumstances. And God would fix it all if he loved them. And when God comes and says that he loves you and I have come to save you and I'm not going to fix any of those things, they're offended because God owes them something according to them. So when is Jesus most offensive to you? It'll be hard for us to not agree that it is when he doesn't perform for us and in our lives, the way he is expected to do as our God. You see, we internally will shrug our shoulders and say, the Lord owes us. I have been faithful. I have walked with you, Lord. And when he doesn't give us what we want, then oftentimes we feel this inner turmoil that Israel is feeling at this particular time. And if they had been offended at themselves, then the gospel would not have been so offensive. They wanted release from exile. But what they forgot was what got them into exile in the first place. What got them there was an unwillingness, an unwillingness to give release to others. They oppressed their own people. Not letting the ground go fallow, grow fallow. They oppressed their own poor people. Now that they are oppressed, they are asking God to deliver them. You see, they didn't see themselves as the most offensive issue because God, it was the others. It wasn't me, it was them. You see, if we think God owes us something, if we are offended, when he doesn't give it, then it shows quite plainly that we do not get how poor we, you and me, really are. See, real sinners, broken sinners, love the gospel just like the really poor love the year of Jubilee. For the slave, the year of Jubilee was wonderful. But it is people who have excuses, skin in the game, that have something to protect, feel that they have something to be offended with. They hate it when release comes, that they have to release their best servants. They hate when release is given to the poor, oppressed and captive. There go my slaves. There go my servants. My way of life is gone. And that is why Jesus had come. And he says, He says, come. Come to me, all all of you who are poor, who are captive, that I might forgive you of your sins. The best thing for human nature to do is to look at it for what it is. For what it is. 
we are always better than somebody, at least in our own minds. And therefore, it is hard enough to need a Savior who releases the worst of us. As we set ourselves up against this text, and friends, I encourage you to set yourself up against not just this text, but the scriptures this year. Set yourself up against it. Own up, Christian. Own up, non-Christian, to the truth. We need to hear what God offers is forgiveness in Jesus Christ. The forgiveness of sins to offensive people who have plunged themselves into that very predicament. And with no matter how much you have paid, you have no idea how much you actually owe to God. But you know what? God sent his son for you, for me. And if you cannot entrust yourself to him, then you don't really know who you are yet. You are just not poor enough. And yet, if you see yourself as poor, broken and needy, and you know you have nothing to offer, you are the one Jesus has come to save. Amen? May you cast yourself on Jesus and earth. Because through him, there is forgiveness of sins. May we put our hope in Jesus alone this morning as we enter into 2023. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, your son was born, suffered, died, and was raised up by your power. Now enable us to die to our sin in repentance so we may rise to new life in Him. Lord, we confess. Lord, though you should guide us through your word, Lord, we oftentimes inform ourselves. We want to go our own way, our own style. Though you should rule us, we oftentimes, Lord, want to control everything. Lord, though you should fulfill us, we oftentimes, Lord, want to console ourselves through our own means. Lord, we think your truth oftentimes is too high. Your will is too hard. Your power is too constricting, Lord. Your love is too free, but Lord, they're not. And without them, we are all people. We are miserable, Lord. Lord, heal our confused minds. Heal our wills that are often divided by your law. Heal our consciences, Lord, that are troubled. Lord, heal them with your love. Heal our anxious hearts with your presence, Lord. All for the sake of your Son, who loved us and gave himself for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you please stand and worship with us.
senior pastor, recognizing that I had a heart to preach, a heart for God's word, invested in me and allowed me to preach about every six to eight weeks. So my hope in 2023 is to give Gary that same opportunity. It is his heart. It's his desire to preach. He loves God's word. So about once every couple months to give him that opportunity just to open God's word and to preach. You get better and more comfortable at doing something, the more you do it. Um, and that was invaluable for me that he allowed me to do that. And so thankful for you, Gary, studying the Word of God this week and then just rightly dividing um, God's Word. Just a reminder, we have no services tonight. Enjoy your day. Take a nap, because I know I will. Um, a long nap is the plan. Um, we will gather Wednesday night, so just make note of that. And in case you forgot, in the big cross there, you forgot too, we need some strong men and or women we won't discriminate just to help get the cross out where it needs to go. Ron McMichael is the Deacon of the Week. He's going to close us with a word of prayer. And also, if you've got Christmas cards in the back, please get them. But <laughs> let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for giving us this time together together in your house, Lord. Lord, thank you for the promise of a new year, the promise of a new man through you, Lord, that through you there is forgiveness of sin, that there is uh, new life in you, Lord, if we but uh, trust in you as our Lord and Savior. Lord, work in us that we would be faithful in serving you this year, that we will be living for you, that we will be a light to the darkness, Lord. Lord, ask this in Jesus' name.